Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hey everyone, Mikkel here. Okay, before we get into today's episode, I want to get some feedback from you, the listener. We're looking at ways that we can take the podcast in new directions, new guests that we want to have on the show, new ideas we want to share with you. So we have a lot of threads going for this at Expat Money Forum, our private Facebook group. If you go to expatmoneyforum.com, you can join the conversation. I want to hear feedback from you guys. What topics have we not covered that you want to hear more of? Do you want to hear more stories from successful expats who have moved offshore? Do you want to hear more business-related stuff, more finance-related stuff? Are you more interested in immigration and visas and passports? Is it the investments or real estate? I want to know what you are interested in. This show is not about me. It is about you guys. It is about all of my amazing listeners and trying to help inspire you and get you the best up-to-date knowledge every single Wednesday when I publish this show. So join the conversation at Expat Money Forum. Let me know what you think, what you want to hear more about, how I can best serve you. It's really important to me to make this show the absolute best in our space. And I think we're off to a really good start. Podcast has been going for over four years now, which is just hard to believe. It seems like just yesterday I started it, and the feedback has been amazing. But there's always room to improve. There's always things we can do better. So share your knowledge, share your expertise, share what you want to hear, share your wants, your desires, your needs, your goals, everything with us at Expat Money Forum. I really appreciate it, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest was born in Germany but has made his home in several countries, including New Zealand, Spain, and Austria. He considers himself a permanent tourist who lives freedom and has traveled to over 70 countries. Applying his 12-flag theory to business, he wanders the world consulting others who wish to pursue this type of lifestyle. Please welcome to the show, Christoph Hoyman. Christoph, how are you doing? Very good, thank you. Uh, love to talk with you the next hour. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you here. So when I was looking through the website, I think that we have a lot of things in common. We do a lot of the same type of work, but I do it kind of from a North American perspective. But because you're German, you do it more from the European perspective. So you've talked a lot about the taxes and things like that. Can you spend a couple of minutes and kind of walk us through your backstory and how you got into this type of lifestyle and why you decided to be writing about it and consulting about it and helping others with it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. 
So basically, it's already now 140 countries, not 70 anymore. I doubled it. I'm, I'm tra traveling very much, uh, both for pleasure and for business. So basically, what I'm doing is helping mostly Europeans to lower their taxes, to relocate, to get into better investments, alternative investments, and so on. But it all started basically for me by being a statist. So what I actually did was I studied statism, public administration in university, with the goal to become an EU bureaucrat. But luckily, as it comes in like the first semester, I was reading the right or the wrong books. In that case, Friedrich August von Hayek. And that converted me more or less to a libertarian. And um, due to a lot of like um, high school, uh, university work and, and different initiatives in Germany, I got more and more libertarian. And then, of course, after a while, I, I did say to myself, I don't want to study um, public administration anymore. I don't want to become a bureaucrat, work for government. I just want to do my own thing, start a company. And that's basically how it started for me. I just tried to basically um, apply my knowledge to problems of entrepreneurs and not uh, for the like solutions of the government. Well, that's very interesting because I had the same type of thing. As soon as you start reading one type of libertarian piece of literature or an Austrian um, economics type of uh, literature, it just everything seems to fall into place. And then you look at your life and you look at what you thought and believed before and you realize like all the flaws that are in the system and the solution is never more government. Like we have these problems in the world and it and they actually stem from the government. So when you start reading this type of literature, you see an alternative to that. And, and that's going to be kind of the, the theme for today's episode is, is this alternative way of looking at things. We're going to talk about some investments and things. But that's really interesting um, that you were actually headed down that line in, in such a direct path and made such a 180-degree um, turn and changed your life. Yeah, I never heard about it before, basically. And then basically after 20 years, it fall down and it was so clear for me oh, that's that's basically making sense finally something is making sense uh, even if basically everyone around you like all my my fellow students and friends are still on that like very socialist communist uh, kind of thinking and you are the only one uh, trying to to do something differently yeah? and that that helped me a lot as well maybe to, to elaborate on that uh, I just learned a lot in like this university years to be very independent, to, to really you know, just do what I want and, and um, be really not to care too much about what other people say about you. Well, I had an Austrian economist on the show the other day who is Austrian, born and raised, and had never even heard of Austrian economics until after he had finished um, studying economics in school. Like they, they didn't even speak about it at all, and he went to business school. So that just shows you how much the government controls these types of, of, of information that even in business school, they don't teach it. But once people learn about it on their own, they just kind of fall down that rabbit hole and, and keep going and devouring content and ideas and concepts. Yeah, definitely. So maybe to, to add a few more lines on that, in, in high school, I basically founded a libertarian club. We actually uh, tried to teach Austrian economics to our fellow students. But the leftists and university basically tried to shut us down, tried to basically deregister us from the university because they didn't like the, these ideas. I mean, in Germany, it's just quite crazy, much, much worse than in America even. Um, with like uh, leftist student groups on campus. 
And um, yeah, that, that was one matter. And the other matter for me, what I really want to say, I did some internships in politics. I worked in the German parliament and in the EU in Brussels for a couple of weeks. And that really showed me, you know, politics is not a way to achieve like freedom. You can only achieve freedom by basically by entrepreneurship and technology. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. So I have to also apologize when we prepared your bio, my intro, I was told 70 countries. Now you've been to 140 countries. You've completely doubled it. So where are you today? Yeah, I mean, that I'm, I'm currently in Vanuatu, which is a little island in the South Pacific. And so I'm currently basically hopping from one island nation to the other one. Before they before they sink in the ocean, climate change, you know, and um, yeah, that, that basically helped me because I mean these islands are not very big. It's very easy, like two three days you've seen everything, and then you hop to the next one. So I did like eight countries in the last two two weeks. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's quite a few. Uh, when I lived in Australia, we would go over to some of the South Pacific countries for a weekend. So we'd go to you know Fiji for a long weekend, three, four days, and uh, and then come back. We'd go scuba diving, come back. I think I went to Fiji five times. I was in Vanuatu, Tonga, a whole bunch of different places there. But yeah, stunning, stunning, stunning part of the world. Yeah, for, for me, it's not only like pleasure. It's also sometimes business. For example, Vanuatu is interesting for me because they sell citizenships. Uh, and you can actually purchase it here with cryptocurrency. So that's just, for example, one flag and what is interesting. Well, I did know that they were um, doing citizenship by investment. I did not know that they were doing it by cryptocurrency investment. Talk to me for a few minutes about what you've learned since you've been over there uh, looking at this program. Yeah, basically, one what the citizenship is, isn't that bad. The passport is uh, actually quite okay. Enabling your access to the Schengen countries and so on. And um, you can get it by investment. So you don't need to like donate money. You have to invest, I think, two hundred twenty thousand dollars. And so that's the big thing. You can do it in, in Bitcoin. So if you have a lot of Bitcoin, I mean, you still have to fulfill all like the usual compliance things and so on. But um, if you only have Bitcoin and only like the bank, you can basically pay the provider with Bitcoin. They convert it, and you get your citizenship. So that might be an option for the crypto billionaires in the That's really interesting. Um, we haven't had much talk about cryptocurrency. The last year has been such a slump, it's kind of gone out of the mainstream news. But I'm glad to see that uh, there are governments in the world that are trying to take this on board and, uh, and assimilate it into their systems. Yeah, I mean, cryptocurrency is still developing and it's, it's far from over. I mean, just what the market says doesn't mirror the, the development. It's actually good in my eyes that it has this big, big uh, sell because and it just kicks out like all the speculators and the people who just thought, ah, I can, can make some money with it. I went out last year already because my father who couldn't even like, um, uh, play with the, uh, mobile phone, um, went into Bitcoin. So that was the sign for me to, 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 to go out. <laughs> so did you sell out before the giant crash then? Yeah, not not too early, but early enough, uh, so to speak. That's basically much, much capital for the investments I, I might um, speak later on. Perfect. 
So before our before I pushed record today, we were kind of chit-chatting about alternative investments. And I think this is a really fantastic topic. And I would love to hear kind of your experience through alternative investments. And maybe it's it's good for us to even start out with a definition when we say alternative assets. What does that mean to you? Yeah, so for me, basically, alternative assets mean something, I mean, you can define very broadly. But for me, I don't really believe in, in, in stocks, uh, especially not in the current situation. I think a, a crash or recession worldwide is hi- highly likely. And for me, basically, a good investment is something where I have some kind of control of, which is basically entrepreneurial. So an alternative investment for me, a good alternative investment for me is something um, where you basically have some part uh, where you do business where you can like put in your own ideas uh, where you can just steer it as a good entrepreneur in order to make profit and that makes it much more calculated. It's high risk. All these investments basically are high risk, but this risk is very calculated in my eyes. Okay, so how would you calculate the risk? What, like, What does that mean to you when you say it's calculated risk? That basically means, um, for example, you purchase a lot of land in a certain country and of course, um, there could be the risk that the government to expropriate this land. There could be a risk that, for example, the trees, the walnut trees in that example, um, get destroyed by bad weather or by, by, by some kind of, uh, bugs or something. Um, but I know, um, the people involved, the people working there, and I have a good, reliable team. And, um, because I know that people are around who know how to do business, who know how to be entrepreneurial. And that basically is for me much, much easier to believe in such an investment than when it's just like a paper on the stock market, which is basically going up and down how the speculators want it. Well, I think that's 100% right because I was involved in the stock market for, I don't know, more than seven years. And I'm not saying that I'll never go back, but I got out um, last year took my took my winnings and left you know because it really is a casino and it's just so impossible to understand some of these big companies especially in the tech space so i was you know going back and forth with netflix shorting them and and different things like that and and their business model it just doesn't make sense the logical things that are supposed to happen when you look at a balance sheet when you look about how much money they're losing and and i can use netflix as an example but but this relates to a lot of the tech uh industry right now in the united states they're just so overbought that i just i i did not feel safe there whatsoever and it just seemed like the biggest bubble in the world and i'm definitely pulling my money out and putting it into to things that i can touch and smell and see and you know uh, tangible, tangible assets. Right, that's I think that the word I, I searched. It's a tangible asset. That's in everything what I'm doing at the moment. Um, it's just, for example, a tree which grows, and it basically needs to grow for five years because before there's the first harvest and we actually get something from it, and then we have to invest a lot of money. But I know these trees are there, and I can see them, and it's actually very nice to have something tangible to see it grow and to feel a connection. Uh, you don't have when you have like some 
uh, certificate. Yeah. Well, I have the same type of feeling when I invest in gold and I buy like physical bullion and things like that. It's in my hand. I can hold it, and you know, and I bring it to the vault or whatever, and store it. And it's it, these are real things. You can touch it. So, talk to me a little bit. You mentioned walnuts. So, talk me through this investment that you're personally working on. Um, so we purchased uh, 73 acres uh, in Georgia, in the county of Georgia, and in, in the Caucasus. And we, that's basically me and a good friend of me, he's, he's basically a derivatives trader um, from Germany, but he lives in Georgia for three years. And in our team as well are two Georgians who basically care for the operations. They come from a hazelnut family, hazelnut farming family, now they do walnuts for us. And two Americans who basically help us with, with law things and also as investments. And basically the plan is at the moment we got planted 15,400 walnut trees and they need to grow for five years before they produce the first harvest. And now the nice thing is um, this special type of walnuts, so-called gender walnuts, are quite popular in, in the U.S. and California. And they grow them there a lot. But now in Georgia, we can basically produce them with five times less the cost because, like, the uh, employees in Georgia, basically all costs are much, much less than in California. So basically, we produce the same quality, even a better quality, but has much, much less costs. And even the Californian farms are profitable. So that's basically a no, no risk investment for me. Well, I'd be so... And maybe this is just me watching the news, but looking at the forest fires that happen in California pretty much every year, you know, it'd be I'd be mindful about starting agricultural businesses in California. Yeah, definitely. And then, of course, there, there's some general developments. I mean, the, the world population is, is, is developing, it's growing, and there's probably in the future much more request for um, special kind of goods, especially um, goods with positive value for health. For example, nuts are very nutritional, very high in protein. More and more people eat nuts. You probably know it. You, you live in the Middle East and that's one of the main markets for walnuts and it's it's growing crazily in demand. And so we expect. Well, and then it's the omega-3 fatty acids, which is a an essential fatty acid, meaning basically that the body cannot produce it itself. So you have to get it from external sources. And whether that's, you know, fish, which is completely... Over our oceans are overfished, where you have farm raised, which are filled with antibiotics and are disgusting. But you know the alternatives are things like avocados or walnuts. Mm -hmm. True, that's just basically our reasoning, and um, we think the price, of course, might go down, uh, but in our eyes, it rather goes up in future, and the demand increases, especially in the Middle East. Uh, so we think um, it's a very solid investment which also works very like very well in a recession and in the moment the reasoning a little bit is i expect in the next five years there will be a new worldwide crisis and uh, when that's over already basically our walnuts uh, start to produce the first harvests and people will buy again walnuts because it's just even if there's a big crisis probably people will still continue to eat walnuts yeah well, yeah, it's not. I would never put walnuts really as a luxury good. Yes, it's probably more expensive than some other type of nuts out there. But I think it, in a lot of families, it's probably a staple. So, talk to me the 
I understand the thought process for doing an alternative investment like this, but talk me through the beginning stages, how this came about, how the idea came about, and you know what the beginning of the project looked like for you guys. Yeah, so so basically, um, I got this this friend from Germany. I know him for a long time. I know him very well. Um, I I did some services with him. Basically, that that's how I do business. For me, it's it's very like big part. It's like a personal level. If you trust someone, if you did some crazy experience with someone, um, then he's a good business partner, especially if he's competent in what he does. So this guy lives in Georgia now for a while, and uh, now and then he he approached me with some investment opportunities. First, we thought actually about um, raising blueberries, um, but then he got a very good deal for walnuts. So basically, this project was already gone. Some Iranian guy wanted to buy it, uh, but then the deal basically bust, and we got uh, basically the the chance to to be the investors instead of the Iranian guy for for much less money than originally we had to. Then it was basically a no easy decision for us to just buy the, the stuff and, and start investing it. So can you talk me through the numbers at all, uh, how this started? Like, did you guys purchase the land? Did you Are you renting the land? What were the numbers um, for these types of things when you got started? Basically, um, you have to consider in Georgia, foreigners can't own land. That makes it a bit more risky, of course. But we have this, this very trustful local Georgians who run our farm. So basically, we started a Georgian company with us as shareholders and them as directors. This company had purchased the 73, it's not acres, actually, it's hectares farm. And, um, yeah, um, then we started de- developing it. Yeah? So we actually then uh, went together with, with neighbors of us, which are two Americans who already had the Walnut basically project running. So we are now doing it together. And um, they already have like half of it, like the 37 hectares running. And now we are doing the other 37 hectares and planting the, the new Walnuts that's currently going on at the moment. And so what year did you start this in and like kind of how how far are you through the grow cycle for these trees? So basically this this trees still need to grow for 5 years before they have the first harvest. Um normally they need 8 years but basically what we did is we purchased purchased samplings um from Turkey already like 3 year old trees um which basically can just be put in in the in the in the ground uh, and then um, as you save yourself for years and you get profits much faster. So you didn't have to start from seedlings or anything like that? Right, seedlings, that's the right, yeah. So basically, we have half of it already running. The trees are there um, already from from two years ago. And we have um, the new trees, like the other half, which is basically um, just keep putting in the, in the earth right now. And so do you... When you start setting this up, did you start looking for buyers in advance or did you just kind of start planting the trees and th- think, we'll find a buyer for this later? No, basically, basically the, the, the project is like this, that we can finance it completely for ourselves. So we are six people. We have the capital to um, basically do the farming for large parts of the farm ourselves. And that was the initial project. 
that because I have a like group to member logs, a big community of potential investors, and we decided to make it open for other people to invest, basically to to be able to scale more quickly, to, to buy more land, and um, to, to just like apply better techniques, which uh, lets us grow the profit even more. So we can finance it completely from ourselves, but of course investors make it easier for us. Yeah, but when the when it comes harvest time in five years and you have the walnuts, do you already know who will be buying it? Did you already have a buyer in mind before you started growing? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, we we are connected to to like all the international buyers. I mean, I'm not involved in the operations of this project. I mean, what is is the marketing and, and getting investors because I know the people next to being invested myself. Um, but the people there, they, they traveling regularly to international conferences to, to masses where they to just are in contact with, with buyers. But I mean, there's not like fixed buyer, um, who, who just like says, ah, in five years, I buy everything from you. So that's what we're not having. This is so interesting because I love to hear about these different types of entrepreneurial ventures and investments because a lot of times when people think, and, and especially our age you know, of people, they think entrepreneurship, really only what seems to come to mind is developing the next app or building the next Facebook or these types of startups. It's like it doesn't need to be that way at all. Actually, you can take something as simple as planting a tree, either a fruit tree or a nut tree or something like this, harvesting and selling it. Like These are businesses that have been around for thousands of years and will be around for as long as humans are on planet Earth, you know? True. And basically what we do in the beginning is, is just sell the, sell the nut as, as it is. But of course, when we have two or three harvests, we have the capital to maybe build some factories, to um, make, I don't know, walnut oil out of it, or to do other products, and then export it to, to markets like the US, where people hi pay higher prices than, for example, in local markets. So it's always an opportunity to even scale the project more. You can always expand it. Yeah. Well, and then I'm sure there's opportunities for going into the cosmetic industry, for selling the walnuts or the oil to, say, like a Korean country or a Korean company, something like that, where they could turn it into cosmetics. And there, there's so many uh, applications for such a high-quality product. Basically, like like every business project um, works like this, right? So you, you, you start with the basic product, and that, that's how I did it with my company as well. In, in the beginning, initially, I charged $30 for my consulting course. Now I charge more than 20 times as much for that. So you just um, develop your business from step to step. Yeah, and I think it's important. You know, one of my mentors is Grant Cardone, who's going to be a guest on this show. And he always talks about having businesses that are complementary to one another. So like we're saying, you okay, start with the walnut trees, now sell the nut. Okay, then from there, maybe build a factory and be able to take that and cre create an oil. And then from that, be able to sell that into a different place. And they're all almost separate businesses, but they're all part of the same business, if that makes sense. They're all um, additions to don't go from this into something, you know, like we were saying before, don't go from walnut farming into creating a, a food delivery app or something. They're not complementary. They're completely different set of skills. Right. Totally true. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about, so you're traveling around the world. You're looking at um, 
these different types of investments, different type of business opportunities, things like this. What else is on the horizon for you? What other projects have you been working on or, or have caught your eye? Yeah, so, so one project um, I'm involved in very much at the moment is, is a project which is still more or less private, non-public. And I can't uh, basically tell you all the details about it. And that's the so-called free private city project. The free private city may basically means we are involved in creating our own government. That's the dream of all libertarians, right? A government without a government. Uh, and it is working. And it's basically, and this project is running o- already over nine years. Uh, I'm just getting involved like uh, for almost two years now uh, as an investor, uh, as well as like a marketer. Because of course, if you try to start a new state, you need people to emigrate to, people to live in. And that's, of course, with my big community of people who want to relocate. We're just going to pause for a second on the interview because I want to tell you about this special resource that I have for you. It's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. It is a PDF downloadable report and you're going to find it at expatmoneyshow.com. Okay, why do I want to tell you about this? Well, it is an amazing resource for anyone out there who is looking to go offshore to become an expat, expat hopefuls. If you're looking at immigration or plan B residencies or any of these types of things that we talk about on the show, this really condenses the information into really easy to understand. And then from there, it gives you all the resources, links to the additional resources or who you can work with, the professionals involved in this. So I've had some amazing feedback on this and I want to give it to you free, 100% free. All you need to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com and at the very top of the page, you will see the special report. You can sign up. There's no credit card needed. There's no nothing like that. I just want you to have this resource because I think it's really important and I think it's going to really serve you well. So enjoy. Go to expatmoneyshow.com, download your free special report, and let's jump back into today's interview. They have big, uh, like, audience to, 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 yeah, basically come and see what we're doing. Okay. So what of the details are you allowed to share? Because this has definitely piqued my interest. Um, you know, we've been th- talking about leaving the Middle East for a long time now. And, uh, yeah, living in a place with less government sounds fantastic to me. So basically, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I can, tell pretty much about it, especially about the general concept. So the general concept is called free private city. That basically means um, it's a special, special zone, you can say. It's much more than like a free trade zone. It has, um, for example, 100% control over security and over the legal system. So it's not like um, our, I have a free trade zone in, for example, Dubai, but I still have Dubai laws. We can completely design our own laws. The only thing what we don't have is basically full sovereignty. We can't basically give out passports. We can't do our own like foreign policy. And um, it's still basically depending on the host nation. So basically this, this zone is in a nation. I can tell which nation this is because basically this is only something for, for states which have big troubles. Our host nation is Honduras. And the free zone, this, the special zone, will be on the island of Roatan. Do you know Roatan? Yeah, I've been there, actually. So Roatan um, is, is a nice, uh, quite big island. Uh, 
from on of the coast of Honduras, like 50 kilometers. Honduras is a country with a lot of problems, has the highest homicide rate in the Western world. Um, big in the media was this like caravan of people trying to migrate to the U.S. So basically, the reasoning of the Honduras government is um, if they create such like a or at least allow such a zone in uh, an island in Honduras itself. Then, like all these migrants wanting to go to the U.S., maybe just go to this island uh, and um, yeah, stay within Honduras. And then you have like all the spillover effects. Yeah, for example, Shenzhen, uh, which went big because of Hong Kong. You probably see that in many other cities around the world as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Shenzhen has just blown up in the last few years. So this is interesting, though, about. Honduras, because I think when I was there it was probably 2002 or 2003. So it's been a very long time since I've had a chance to visit myself. But I remember it being um, a stunning, like like the natural resources and the the geography of the country was just absolutely stunning. But um, yes, yeah, safety wise was one of those places where you wanted to be a bit mindful at night uh, when you went out. Yeah, definitely. So the the like big promise of this project is 100% security. Uh, and that's um, what I what I should probably explain. And um, what you get is basically a social contract uh, when you want to move to the city, but it's completely voluntary. It's just like private law. You have a contract with the like operators of the city. Like this government is basically a for-profit government. It tries to make profit by providing governance services to its citizen. And if people, for example, have a contract with this operator for 100% security because that's guaranteed and then they get robbed in this zone, then they can sue this operator because he didn't provide them the security. So so basically, basically we, we, we just want um, to, to form a kind of zone where people can go in, which is very like uh, bottom-up. Um, we don't have much regulations or something. We just want people to come and um, take their ideas and then do everything they want, and they have re- only very, very limited regulations um, to keep like the, the stability of the zone. And of course, you have to keep some compromises with the host nation or with like big governments like the US. You cannot like do the libertarian ut- utopia with like free d- drug trade and free weapon trade and so on. You have to have some restrictions in place in order to to be realistic. And this problem is real. And it's happening, and it's probably going public very soon. Maybe even uh, when this pod- podcast is published, it might be even public. We just begin in, in probably two, three, or four weeks, and they will go public with it. At the moment, it's still private because they just want to avoid that, like big media and then big governments get aware of it too too quickly and might. Um, destroy what they basically build up in the last 10 years. See, that's fascinating. And I, and I love the idea of the government really competing for your dollars, competing for your business. Instead of using coercion to take your dollars away from you, they, they really look at the problem like, okay, how can we help people? What is it that people want? How can we, you know, do a better job and 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 really earn these dollars uh, or and I'm saying dollars, but any type of currency um, from the populace. Yeah, I mean the the main idea is to inspire also other people, of course, to to think about maybe doing such projects themselves. And when this first project is working, and my my idea is, or I think it will work, 
and then of course um, you have the example and, and you can implement it in other other countries. Uh, for example, I don't know if you heard about it, seasteading. And they have this project in French Polynesia where they just basically want to build a floating city on islands which might soon sink in the in the ocean. And that's also very, very far. I, I met with the people in Maida actually. But um they have the problem with French Polynesia. They still have like a lot of things to do with France and France will always have a veto. What we have in Honduras is Honduras already changed the constitution. So two years ago Honduras changed the constitution by popular vote and um, this kind of special zones are completely legal now, are allowed and basically nothing is uh, yeah, um, stopping us to, to realize it. But it's of course much more difficult than many people imagine to form a state to create a working legal system which is attractive enough to like draw the attention of, of companies in order to to settle there, yeah. So talk to me a little bit about where the the city is in the development right now. Are people living in this community? Is it is it a community that is being transformed or is it being are you breaking ground on a completely new place? Mm-hmm. It's basically a new place, uh, Roatan. Um, this uh, island, which is quite touristy, where some people live, uh, but still, like, basically half of the island is untouched. And we got a lot of um, basically ground uh, on the island, mostly in the middle of the island and north and south. And um, that's mostly untouched, uh, directly at the sea. And that's basically developed at the moment. So they're just zoning um, these grounds and they they start to, to build basic infrastructure uh, because, like I said, this project is not public yet. And, and that, of course, means there's no one living there yet. But that's coming pretty soon that the first people are basically allowed entry into this zone. And now the nice thing about Honduras is it's not like a little island which is far away in like Pacific. Um, it is just three hours flight from many U.S. cities, and there are actually direct flights from a lot of U.S. cities. So you can fly actually from Atlanta, from Miami, from Dallas, from Houston, from Toronto, from Montreal. You can fly directly at least once or twice a week to Roatan. So it's quite easy to go there. And um, yeah, uh, I think that makes it quite attractive for a lot of people. Well, absolutely. Like, Every time we're talking about moving to a new city or something like that, one of the main things is the connectivity to the rest of the world. So because I live here in the Middle East, you know, I can fly with Etihad Airways or I can drive down to Dubai and I can get to most places in the world. You know, we've talked about um, living in different countries and things like that. And it's like, well, because I go to so many conferences and I speak o- overseas and things, I need to be able to Co- not commute, but almost commute to to different countries to be able to attend these events. If I was, you know, out in the middle of the South Pacific or something like that, and it took me two days to get uh, to a, a proper city in uh, the States or in Europe, you know, I, I don't know if that would really fit in with our lifestyle. But it's interesting to hear that these ones, they actually have an international airport right on the island of Roatan. Yeah, that's of course also important for people who maybe don't want to connect over like mainland Honduras, where the situation is much unsafer. Um, also, what what is nice to to say about this island, Roatan, is actually it's English speaking. It's not Spanish speaking. Of course, Spanish is a good language and quite easy to learn as well. But 
um, Roshan was always basically in the hand of the Brits. And only like in recent years, uh, basically in the decolonization after the Second World War, it got Spanish or, or like Honduran. And that basically also means that the people on the islands are very independent minded. So it's very important that the population living there already and has a positive attitude against the, the project because they always were quite pro-secession and they basically now, yeah, their, their dreams get true with this kind of project. And maybe one thing to add is uh, this constitution, uh, which was changed, basically allows any community, any landowner to voluntarily associate with our free zone. So basically they can say, ah, I want to be part of these rules, of these regulations, of this free private city. And my land is basically now part of that. And the idea is we start with a little bit of land in, in Roatan. But then after some, some years, maybe we have all the island and then some neighbor islands and then some parts of the mainland. And maybe in the end, we reformed to the complete country or even region. Yeah. That's incredible. Like, like I'm just letting that sink in for a minute. Like that's incredible. So the opportunity to grow the idea and the concept of libertarianism in a practical sense, because it's so often you know, we, we talk philosophical ideas about about this type of um, governance, but it's very difficult to actually have it in 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 real life because there's so many statists out there who believe in this Keynesian type of uh, economics, and that's how our governments are run. Um, but now to see that, okay, let's try this. Let's put it into to a real-life practical example. And if it works, we actually have the opportunity to see it grow. Yes. And that's very important to say that there's nothing involved with politics. There won't be a democracy. It's a for-profit company with a board of directors. And they basically decide what is good for the zone. But of course, mostly the people living there and decide what's good for the zone because when it's um, bad for them, if they have bad conditions, they will just leave. So, of course, um, this uh, free private city operator tries the best to uh, tries to create the best framework in order to be attractive as possible for many people. And now, what many people, especially from the left, think is a uh, state needs so much money to operate like basic government service, but that's just not true. Probably we just need to charge around $2,000 a year. We can provide very much um, of the basic infrastructure and, and um, security and legal system we are used to in, in high-developed Western states where you pay 20 times the, the price. Yeah? So it's just much more efficient. Yeah, it sounds so. Absolutely. I'm, my mind is already spinning about all the opportunities because I have heard of the uh, seasteading. I always have trouble with this one. The seasteading and the um, Liberland, but this is a completely new project um, that I've never heard of. So I, I'm already thinking about all the implications and the differences and the changes and the opportunities. Yeah, that's that, that's that's good that you haven't heard of, and then then it's basically uh, that was our strategy, uh, the strategy of the project um, that no one. Heard use of it too too quickly. Um, basically, Liberland, for example, in, in my eyes, is basically uh, just a fake or a big scam act even. Um, it never really materialized there. Yeah. And this project is, is really happening. It has a very professional team. A lot of basically entrepreneurs who are now retired, who are in their 50s, 
and are libertarians and just want to, to make something happen, to change something, are involved. Uh, so that's basically why I got involved there. And so are you going to be able to take some of the ideas and the concepts that you've learned through the agri agricultural projects doing in, in Georgia with the walnut farms? Are you going to take some of those concepts and ideas that you've learned and be able to bring them over to Honduras? Yeah, of course. Um, it's not our plan to do like agriculture, or at least not my plan to do agriculture there. It's more, um, for example, like, like industry-wise, it should be a place for, for fintech companies, for banking, for crypto for like biotechnology for many like highly regulated areas in western states uh, which can basically go there and, and be under very little regulation and and and, and uh, innovate uh, there so so for me the main thing is uh, in the zone is to create like a, at the moment a, a center for my community or for like the global community of of, of like little entrepreneurs and uh, freelancers and so on I just want to bring them together in one place, maybe build a co-working space there, and just just connect people and and yeah, teach them the spirit of freedom by by applying entrepreneurship and technology. Interesting. So then, if you are going to do a lot of the technology side, are you guys going to be able to have high-speed um, wireless internet and things like this that are so important for so many digital nomads? Especially, a lot of my listeners are digital nomads. Yeah, that, that will be, of course, coming. Um, at the moment, the internet condition in Ruratan is not perfect, but it's, at least for me, more than sufficient. We could have a, have a call there, like with good internet connection, that won't be an issue. But they're actually working on like a cable, uh, from, I think, Miami coming. Miami isn't that, that far, actually. And, um, I think that will be done in, in the latest in, in one and a half years. And then they have really high-speed internet on the island as well. So, of course, there are some disadvantages because of the location, because Honduras is still a developing country. Um, but um, in order to be attractive, you just need to provide certain things in the 21st century. Yeah. You just mentioned something very interesting. So, disadvantages. Talk to me the other side of the the other piece of the puzzle. What are the, the negatives? What are the bad things, the, the challenges that you're going to have to overcome with developing these types of projects? Yeah, of course, um, you have to um, always do some compromises. Um, first have like the host nation. So for example, Honduras must be allowed and that a lot of Hondurans actually go there and, and, and can work there and things like that. Uh, you have to be compliant like with international things. For example, what you can't do is like a zero tax oasis with no taxes at all. That won't work. And they will get in, in, incredible international pressure because of that. So probably it will be a territorial tax system. You don't pay taxes on your foreign income, but you will have at least some, some local tax, but only one tax and that will be very easy to, to, to handle. But that's like one of the big issues. You have to get compromises in order to, to get it off the ground in order to get it happening. Okay, so talk to me about the investment opportunities because we've started off the interview speaking about the walnut farms in Georgia. And now we've kind of, it seems like we've kind of jumped completely left and we've talked about alternative cities. But really, we're just talking about alternative investments because I believe there is an opportunity for for people to get involved in in projects like this. And, and it's important to see the type of mindset um, in alternative investments. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, this this 
alternative city, this free private city is also an investment opportunity, and I will come to that briefly. But for example, consider what we want to do is basically to create the next Singapore, the next Hong Kong. But it is a private for-profit company, and of course, we can be a shareholder of the company. Like with my investment, it's not that high, but I probably get like 1.0% of, of this operating company. Now imagine in, in 10 years, and 20 years, this free private city has the success of like cities Dubai or Singapore or Hong Kong, which are valued in, in, in multiple billions, uh, have 1.0% of, of a city which is worth multiple billions. You are multi-millionaire. So of course, this is also an alternative investment. And um, basically, that's what's possible at the moment. People can basically be shareholders of this operating company, which will provide governance services and develop all this project. At the moment, the threshold is still quite high. Um, you need to invest like $250,000 um, to be part of it. But and after the, the project gets public, which will be very soon, probably one or two months maximum, um, probably investors will start from $25,000 to be part of uh, basically this project. So that basically means you, you are, you're a shareholder, you get dividend distributions if the for-profit company makes profits. And that's, of course, the goal. Uh, and the uh, main thing is, of course, the value. If the project is taking off, if it's working, if the city grows and grows and really might become their own government in itself someday, then you have very, very high profit margins. So it's so funny to talk... Uh... To think about a libertarian investing in government, but it, it, it's such a different way to look at it. But it, it's really fascinating. Yeah, it's basically not government, it's just governance. And of course, it's, I always say that when I argue with, with people, it's not about like um, no regulation or no government. It's always about who governs and who regulates. Yeah, and how it's done and what the, the rules and the laws are. You know, uh, is it done through through force is it done through threatening people or is it done through commerce and through true capitalism okay i think it's important to stress uh, like this the city is, is um, holding up libertarian values it's all like voluntary and there's no force and uh, obligation or violence involved if someone doesn't like us he, he just goes and he can be happy somewhere else and of course we are pretty open to, to basically anyone who keeps uh, the contract of the city. And of course, if, if he, for example, breaks the contract, steals from someone, uh, damages property of someone, he will just get kicked out. We will basically just um, yeah, send him back to his home county or wherever, and he can't be part of the city anymore. And that's not how, how many... Well, that's the same type of thing here in the UAE. We have, you know... If you break the rules and break the laws, a lot of times it won't be about incarceration. You'll just get blackballed. Your visa will be um, will be uh, revoked, and you know you have to go home. And you know, for a lot of people, that's terrible. Like I can't imagine um, getting kicked out of a country. I think that'd just be an awful, horrible experience. Yeah, but basically, you know it before, right? Um, you 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 sign a contract, and it. Uh... It, it says that's your rights, that's your obligations, and um, that's pretty minimal. And, um, yeah, I just mean that. I just mean that, like, for something that to happen, it makes me want to 
uh, abide by the rules and abide by the laws because I know what they are coming in. I made a voluntary choice by coming here, about by living here. You know, I, I'm not going to get surprised by the rules and and what you can say and do here. If you if you don't like it, then feel free to go somewhere else. I think it's also an important point you just stressed, and it's also something I I, I really want to say about this project. Like for people like me or you or other like international investors, privateers and so on, they can still, at least if they're not American, design their lifestyle pretty much tax-free and, and very free from everything by just applying factory and other strategies. Um, but people who basically work on the ground do some physical activity like the baker or the mechanic or someone, they are always basically taxed very highly and because they can't move, they're not so mobile. Like this kind of free zone, with like their own law, a very good local tax system and so on, are much more attractive also like for, for smaller local entrepreneurs. So that's basically what we want to attract people who actually move there, who build up a local business. Um, of course, nomads are also welcome, but nomads already have the choice to basically live tax-free in high-taxed cities around the world. You can still live in Berlin or in Stockholm or in New York and still don't pay any taxes and so on if you structure it properly. So I understand a lot about the uh, investment opportunities, talking about the security and things like this and the contracts that you'll put in place for this. But there must be quite a bit of opportunity for the housing, for the infrastructure that it will be put in, like we were just talking about for the baker um, Baker, candlestick maker type of, you know, brick and mortar businesses. How will that look? Will people be able to own the land? Will, like, how will their businesses be built there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so basically people can, of course, own land, uh, can buy land. And basically the landowner at the moment is the, is the operator, the free private city, and who basically then either leases out the land or, or sells it. With a legal title uh, for, for for the future landowners, and of course now in the beginning the land will, will still be quite quite cheap because no one knows how how the project will turn out. Um, but of course, um, I mean it's like in every city, and um, if it has success, um, then the land prices will go up dramatically. Right? So, do you see this as a real asset? or that you're investing in with the calculated risk like we talked about before, or do you see this as quite a speculative play? I mean, it's, it's speculative insofar that it's not clear, or there are a lot of like variables and, and making not clear what will happen. For example, maybe some states don't really like such a free competitor, and they just wait a war. Uh, and um, then the free private city gets destroyed or things like that. And there are a lot of things which might happen or might not happen and that make it quite hard to evaluate. But like uh, from, from what I see, like the, the project is already going on for nine years. It's uh, prepared very effectively and there are very, very good people in the team. I think like without external factors, it will be a very huge success fascinating i definitely want to read more i want to learn more myself if my listeners want to get involved if they want to learn more about what you do christoph where can we send them yeah you can send them uh, to to my different blogs uh, so for example in the english speaking uh, i have my blog called tax minus free dot today 
just basically covering all the Slackberry aspects, also investments. And then I have a personal blog, which is called Christoph.today, uh, Christoph uh, dot today, and which um, basically, yeah, um, tells people about my travel adventures, all the 140 countries I've been to already, also some more uh, yeah, parts of my life, different projects. You can also read a little bit about the free private city thing, also about the walnut farm, if you're interested in, in the details, uh, how to do investment. Yeah. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Christoph. These are really fascinating ideas and concepts that we've been talking about today, and I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. It was, was nice to talk with you about this, this new project. And um, yeah, you were actually one of the first who, who, who gets to know at least some little details about it. And I hope you're quite excited. I am quite excited. And for my listeners, I knew nothing about the project coming in. So I'm discovering everything absolutely fresh at the exact same time as you guys are. So I'm really excited to learn more and read more and see how this all turns out. Well, Christoph, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you again for your time. We'll talk soon, okay? Hey everyone, I just want to tell you about a great opportunity. You see, we've had a massive interest lately in learning a second language. And I do a lot of my language training with my very good friend, Ollie Richard. We've been friends for three or four years now, and he's been on my program, and I've been on his program, and he spoke at my conferences, and I've spoke at his conferences. And he really is a genius. His techniques for teaching languages are just out of this world. He actually makes it fun and enjoyable. He was one of the main drivers for me rekindling my interest in Spanish. And under his tutelage and his advice and using his programs, I went from really crummy Spanish to quite fluent in a really short amount of time. So if you are looking to learn a second language or maybe even a third language, what I want you to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language forward slash language, and it's going to redirect you to some of all these best courses out there in the world. And there's some special promotions going on, some special opportunities for subscribers of my podcast. So I hope you take us up on this offer and go and check it out. That's expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language to get the best resources in the world for learning a second language. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. 
But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.